Good evening. I'm Jen Polly, and I'm the Adult Ministry Director here at Bethany North. As we start off the series in Lent, we're journeying through Exodus together, being formed in the wilderness. The title of this sermon is Following God into the Wilderness, as we find ourselves in the story of the Israelites as they leave Egypt and enter the desert ahead. Many of you know that my family is a military family, which means that we move a lot. In fact, in our first four years of marriage, we lived in four different states. After my husband Levi had finished his initial round of schooling, we got to put in our preferences for our first duty assignment. We were so excited, dreaming of all the possibilities. You know, we could live in another country. And Levi had said, you know, there's just two places we don't want to go, Fort Polk, Louisiana, and Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, because they're so remote. So we were pretty disappointed when we found out that we were going to Fort Leonard Wood. Now, I had sworn that I was never going to be one of those army wives who just like cries for months on end when she finds out that she's being sent to a horrible place. You know, you just got to make the best of what you've been given. But when I started to look into it, I was like, you know, I don't really know where Missouri is. And I definitely don't know where Fort Leonard Wood is. So I looked it up on Google Maps and was shocked to see that it was an hour and a half to the nearest target. And it's so remote and there's so many rodents that it's filled with ticks. Like you cannot go in your front yard without getting a tick bite. I immediately began to weep. So I took my day to mourn over this loss of this horrible place we're going. And then we ventured into the new territory in this season of our marriage. And God formed us through this less than desirable place. When looking into the season ahead for many of you, saying the future looks bleak or undesirable is an understatement. It's more than just a bad location like Backwoods, Missouri, But the strains on your marriage or in a relationship with a child or a parent seem hopeless. The stress of your employment or unemployment is unbearable. The hopelessness of a diagnosis is crushing. Or perhaps it's slavery to a sin that's leaving you feeling trapped. And the more you try to modify your behavior, the worse it gets. In the crossing of the Red Sea narrative, the elements of story are used to show God's mighty plan of deliverance when the Israelites followed God into the wilderness. And likewise, when we follow God into the wilderness, he is mighty to save. But why should we follow God into the wilderness when the way forward looks unbearable or even impossible? The text offers three promises for God's people when following him into the wilderness. One, the Lord goes before you. Two, the Lord will fight for you. And three, it's worth the cost. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this time that we can enter into the unknown, this 40 days of venturing out and following you. God, prepare our hearts to hear your message that we would be able to surrender all to you and trust wholeheartedly in who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So to give some background on the text, Moses has seen the burning bush in the wilderness and was sent by God to return to Egypt and to deliver the people back to the promised land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Moses did so, but Pharaoh wasn't so hasty to let his chief slave, slave labor go free. And so God sent the ten plagues on Egypt, and through the Passover celebration, he saves the Israelites and sends them away. They're boldly marching out of Egypt, looting the Egyptians of all of their silver and gold and clothing. They've been victorious. Now, when going into the wilderness, the Israelites had no idea which route they were taking to the promised land. And they also had no idea how long that it would take. They had no map. But they didn't have to worry because the presence of God went before them. The text specifically says in 13 verse 21 that the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of fire or cloud. In the Hebrew, this is a participle, which is conveying continuous action, that God was always before them. He didn't just stand in front of them and point them in the right direction from time to time, but it was his constant presence was there. Victor P. Hamilton, a Bible commentator, says, Israel need not stumble through the foreboding wilderness by itself, trusting in its own wits or sense of direction. Rather, the Israelites need simply to keep their eyes on the cloud and fire, and they will get to where God wishes to take them. This leads to the first promise from the text, which is that the Lord goes before you. It's like if you've been backpacking or touring in a foreign country, the difference between having a map and a guide. You know, a map is nice, and then it says where the destination is and some things to look out for, but a guide, a guide has been there before. They know all the best places to eat and drink, where to stay and rest for a while, where the best views are, what to avoid and when to avoid it. Just as the Israelites don't know their way or didn't know their way through the wilderness, we don't know our way either. While we don't have a pillar of a fiery cloud ahead of us, we do have a guide. Jesus. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is always there before us. But while having a guide is nice, what about when the obstacles in front of us are unbearable or insurmountable? This leads us to our next promise. So to return to the situation, God has the Israelites turn back and encamp by the sea because God wants Pharaoh to think that they're wandering aimlessly through the desert. God's plan proves true, and Pharaoh realizes that he's made a terrible mistake. So he hitches up 600 of his best chariots to chase after the Israelites, and they end up right up on their heels. This is quite the turn of the events or turn of events for the Israelites who thought that their battle with Pharaoh and the wicked Egyptians was already won. Surely 10 plagues would have been sufficient to make them back down. So when they look behind them and they see the Egyptians pursuing them hotly, they're terrified. This fiery cloud of God has sent them right into a battle that they are incapable of fighting. And not only are the Egyptians behind them, but God has them camping right next to the Red Sea. So there is nowhere for them to go. So the Israelites really have two options here. They could surrender to the Egyptians and return to this life of ruthless slavery. Or they could die in battle. There is no way out. 
but God makes a way, and one far more magnificent than they could have ever imagined. In chapter 14, verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then the Lord tells Moses, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And then Moses stretches out his hand and the sea is parted and the Israelites and all of their livestock are able to to make their way across. And then at daybreak, after they've been walking all day and all night, Moses stretches his hand again behind him and the entire sea washes out the Egyptians, basically obliterating them to smithereens. When the Israelites thought the only way out was death, God made a way. He not only rescued them from their enemies, he obliterated them. And the Israelites could now march forward to the land promised to their forefathers. This illustrates the second promise from the text. The Lord will fight for you. This promise is not just in the Old Testament and for the Israelites, but is for us now. When Moses says the battle is the Lord's and then God defeats the Egyptians, this is an example as God acting as the divine warrior. It's a motif throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where Yahweh is defined in his warlike actions against the Israelites' common enemy in order to preserve them as a people group and to glorify his name. We see his warlike conquests as they travel through the desert and the promised land, then the time of the judges and the kingship. But God isn't just a warrior for the Israelites. He's still our warrior God today. The enemies are just of a higher power. In Colossians 2.15, it says that when Jesus died and rose again, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In the cross, our divine warrior Jesus defeated not just the enemy immediately before us, but he destroyed the enemy. And then in the final judgment, it says in Revelation 19, there's this vivid imagery of Jesus as being a a rider on a white horse with his army up against the devil's army, and he defeats them and sends them into a fiery lake of burning sulfur. He defeats them for all eternity. So So often, we find ourselves in a similar situation as the Israelites. We're called into the unknown, and there's an insurmountable enemy chasing after us. And just like the Israelites, the Lord will fight for us. Jesus has fought for us already and won. We need only to be still. But how do we actually do this? While God certainly does the miraculous and provides for us in wonderful ways, a primary way he fights for us is through his word. In the Armor of God section of Ephesians 6, Paul talks about how our true struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, we must put on the armor of God so we can stand when that day of evil comes. 
in addition to putting on salvation and righteousness and faith and truth, there is one weapon that we are encouraged to take with us to keep at our side at all times. It's the word of God. He says in 6.17 of Ephesians, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When we seek God in his word and we hide it in our hearts, he fights for us. So here are a couple practical ways of how you can keep God's word at your side so that he fights for you. First, follow along with us in Lent as we read through the books, book of Exodus together. We have a downloadable PDF file for you so you can read a chapter a day as we find ourselves in the story of the Israelites as they're in this time of the wilderness. We're planning to be reading together along in house churches and connect groups and Bible studies because we know that it's as a community that we journey through this time. Another way is to memorize scripture. This is the best way to hide God's word in your heart. If you haven't done it before, just choose one verse to start. Write it on a PDF or sorry, a a postcard or a a little three by five card and place it somewhere that you come to often, whether it be a bathroom mirror or a computer screen or above the kitchen sink. Take this on as your weapon against evil. Memorize a verse with someone else so you have that accountability. You can fight for one another together. When we reflect on the story of the Israelites, we know that their story doesn't end after crossing the Red Sea. In fact, it's really just the beginning of their wilderness journey to the Promised Land. They probably thought that marching throughout the day and night to get across the sea was a long time. Little did they know that they had 40 years of suffering ahead of them. A question has been pressing me the last few weeks regarding their situation. Would the Israelites have obeyed God if they knew that it meant 40 years of suffering in the wilderness? If they knew that they would die before getting to see the promised land? And with that, Is it worth the cost for us to follow God into the wilderness, knowing that it costs us our very lives? I have to believe the answer is a resounding yes. In Exodus 1, it says the slavery behind them was unlivable. It literally says the Egyptians worked them to the point of crushing them. Their baby boys were slaughtered. Their lives were made bitter. It had already been going on for 430 years. This was not going to end. The same is true for us. Our condition without God's deliverance only grows worse with time. There is no escaping sin and slavery to it on our own. We must be delivered. But the only way to deliverance is death. Death to our control Death to our desires, death to our comfort, death to our plans, death to the boxes that we like to fit God into. This is the invitation to Lent, to say yes to God and following him into the wilderness for as long as it takes to be formed into his likeness and to receive the promises of abundant life on the other side. 
In Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. This is our third promise from the text. When we follow God into the wilderness, it's worth the cost. Earlier I mentioned that as a military family, we move a lot. And we knew that our time here in Seattle would be short, um, would just be the duration that my husband is in law school. And our time to move is approaching much more quickly than we expected. In fact, we'll have to be leaving just at the end of next month. And as we look to our future, there's a lot of hardship up ahead with studying for the bar exam. Then immediately after, he has to leave the family for four and a half months for his next round of trainings. Then immediately after that, we're moving again to some unknown place. To be honest, since having kids, our summers have been really hard. And I found myself asking God, like, God, could this summer just be different? Could, you know, studying for the bar exam and Levi being away from the family just, like, be easy and lighthearted for a change? God made no easy promises. But he did remind me that what keeps our family strong and growing isn't any set of circumstances, but it's being rooted to him in his word. So I'm with you, and that the season ahead is hard, unbearable even to do it alone. But we can do it because when we follow God into the wilderness, the Lord goes before us, the Lord will fight for us, and it's worth the cost. So will you follow God into the wilderness this Lent season? Will you die to yourself to receive the promises of abundant life? both now and in eternity. In Ash Wednesday, we take ash as a reminder of our mortality and brokenness, that we are mere dust, and we place it on our foreheads in the form of a cross to symbolize that we bear Christ's sufferings in our body with the knowledge that come Easter Sunday, we also get to participate in the life of the resurrection. Unfortunately, this year, Ash Wednesday looks a little different. But we can still practice the ritual of willingly taking on Christ's sufferings and entering with him into the wilderness, the season of the unknown, trusting that he goes before us and will fight for us along the way. I encourage you with your household to take your dirt or your ash, maybe you've mixed it with some oil, and place it somewhere in the form of a cross that's a symbol of your brokenness. Maybe it's on your head or on your heart or your hands. And may each person do this as an act of taking on Christ's sufferings and willingly surrendering to him to step into the wilderness ahead. I'm going to pray for us, and then I encourage you to take some time during the next moments of worship to surrender to God whatever it is that you need to leave behind as you follow Christ ahead. Maybe it's a backup plan or control or a relationship or anxiety. 
I encourage you to take whatever posture is necessary to show God your submission to him as you follow. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you go before us. We confess our fears and anxieties about the path ahead as our enemies are chasing after us. We surrender ourselves to you. Thank you that you took up our sin on the cross so that we can have abundant life. We choose to follow you and die to ourselves so that we can be formed into your image.